New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. And coming up on this week's show, we set sail for adventure, romance, and the biggest bomb in the history of cinema as we review Rennie Harlan's Cutthroat Island. But first up is Q Shots, our look at some of the current offerings on various streaming and VOD sites, all centered around a common theme. In honor of Cutthroat Island, we had hoped to do movies where Matthew Modine has a mustache. But Matt, you felt that topic would reflect poorly on you since you're a 30-year-old man and you still can't grow a mustache. That's correct. Thanks for bringing that up. Anytime. Uh, instead, we're going to discuss the world of female-driven action movies. That's right. And is there anything we want to say in a general sense before we move on to our picks in this area, Allison? That, you know, when we talked about this topic, the first few people who came up were actually TV people for me. Oh, interesting. Uh, like Jennifer Garner on Alias, Alias yes. Sarah Michelle Gellar on Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Summer Glau and Firefly. Interesting. Yeah, that uh, there has actually been a real move in TV, maybe... I don't know if it's like earlier. There have there have been female action heroes through the years, but that it seems like there was an earlier wave of them that's now being followed up in film with things like the Hunger Games or I don't know if you want to count it, but Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you're seeing more female action heroines uh, on the big screen now as well. This is definitely a big year for female-driven action movies, and it's a nice week to talk about it. It's just serendipitous because the movie Brave opened, which I've seen. You haven't seen it. I have it. not yet. By the time people are listening to this, it has opened, and it is, in some senses, a female action movie. It's a Pixar movie. It's animated. It has some supernatural elements. It has some humor, mother-daughter relationship, but it's also about this princess who's also kind of a, a butt-kicker, you know? She's got a bow and arrow, much like the heroine in The Hunger Games, and she can take care of herself. There's a big sequence where the suitors for her hand come along in kind of classic Disney fashion. She's going to be married off for the good of the kingdom. And That's what happens when you're a princess. And, exactly. And she's like, I'm going to – I'm not interested. I'm going to fight for my own hand. <laughs> and she takes out her bow and arrow and she kicks ass, which is kind of cool. So it is something that seems to be in the culture at the moment. I guess what we're trying to say here is that regardless of our thoughts during the review, Cutthroat Island was a trailblazer. And it was an important film in the history of cinema, and attention must be paid. I think that's what we're saying, right, Allison? I think that's definitely that's what we're saying. That's the only thing we're that's saying. That's the only thing we're saying. I think otherwise, it's always interesting to see when there is a female action hero, mm-hmm. how the film handles uh, her love interest. Ah. Because it does definitely shake up your traditional, you know... The power dynamics. Power dynamic. Gender and also roles. That you, yeah, that one... Per, like, the female love interest is usually... She needs to be rescued. Right. You know? And that, what do you do? You, you know, are we content with having a male love interest who needs to be rescued all the time? Or do we then feel that he doesn't really deserve the female love interest? Yes. It's a very, very good point. One I noticed in Cutthroat Island, yes, something we can discuss when we get there. to that. And I, when you say that, I instantly also think of a movie like Catwoman. Not a good film, and one that clearly was wrestling with that issue because Halle Berry, Catwoman, is like the hero, and she has a love interest, Benjamin Bratt, and they're constantly thinking, like, what do we do with this guy? He's Benjamin Bratt. He's, a, he's played a cop on television. He's clearly capable of taking care of himself. How helpless do we want to make him and how tough do we want to make Catwoman? It does seem like something that movies of this type do kind of wrestle with. You know, I thought in the underworld films as well, Mm. they're not, you know, you have this love interest who's supposed to be like, they give him this kind of extra power. I don't know if you've seen, uh, if your listeners have all seen the underworld movies. Well, wait wait a second. If they haven't seen them, (laughs) they have to turn off their 
iPod or listening device and go watch all four in succession, <laughs> including the last one. Right. Which was amazing. Totally amazing. <laughs> so you have Scott Speedman's character who is, you know, important and turns out to have this secret power and ability that's very powerful. But for the most part, he is really secondary in terms of badassery yes. to, to uh, Kate Beckinsale's character. And he's occasionally made to be sort of the damsel in distress, for lack of a better term. Yeah, And exactly. actually in that most recent one, which he's not in, but his not character in. is constantly the focus, like... Uh, Kate Beckinsale's character is looking for him throughout the movie. In a sense, he is sort of this thing that needs to be saved and rescued. You're right. And it almost works better when he's not around because then he can't take care of himself. Exactly. We don't have to worry about that kind of complicated issue of... You're right. He's kind of super powerful. He probably doesn't need that much rescuing. Exactly. So, yeah, the film tries to have it both ways of being like, he is actually really, really powerful. And so it's cool. Like, they belong together. But then also... The movie's not about him. Mm. She's the one that's going to be doing all of the, like, you know, slow motion, I'm wearing a vinyl outfit, (laughs) but I'm totally, my movement is not impaired at all kind of action (laughs) sequences that she does. Yeah. In a similar way, one of the things that comes up a lot is also how sexy can this heroine be? How much do we want, like, how manly or feminine is this character supposed to be, you know, and how much do we want to make her a girl? quote unquote right does that make sense oh definitely i think that like the old school heroine right the like like kind of either fanboyish or comic book type or just you know general action heroine who's like wearing a ridiculous outfit like Like the vinyl cat suit or yeah and is uh you know in heels and still doing all of these stunts versus certain deliberate kind of reinventions where you have characters who are not particularly feminized or not dressed up Mm. or not really concerned about looking pretty right and i'm always interested in seeing that because it's just so much more rare mm-hmm. uh, and because it also does you know subvert a lot of the usual roles that you see female characters being put in in uh in action movies i didn't love brave but i think this what we're talking about right now is one of the most interesting things about it because her mother wants her to dress like a princess and she literally feels constricted in the outfit that her mother <laughs> puts her in and she wants her hair her you know that fiery hair to be like blowing in the wind and her mother put makes her wear this thing on her head and then there's this sort of tension between like sort of the guys and what guys do and what men do and what women do and princesses are supposed to do and the way that this character kind of wants to have it both ways i think is pretty interesting but anyway let's get to the movies that are available for streaming and let's get to our first pick allison what do you got uh, I picked like a real action movie in this case. This is a martial arts movie for my first pick. It is Chocolate, 2008 film, not to be confused with the faux French Lassa Hallstrom movie. Chocolate. Exactly. This is a Thai martial arts film that is the first one. <laughs> I'm just imagining Chocolate with martial arts and thinking, God, that would have made a so much better good. movie. It would yeah. Be crazily good. Anyway. Uh, and instead, this features, uh, I'm going to slaughter her name, so I'm sorry, Yanine uh, Vismitananda. Jija is her her nickname, known affectionately as Jija, who is a uh, she's a female Taekwondo expert who in this film uh, plays a autistic woman named Zen. It's directed by uh, Pracha Pinkau, who you may remember as he directed the Tony Jaa films Ong Bak and Tom Yam Goon and has kind of built himself up this like Thai 
action movie empire right with like these and kind of made tony jaw like his in terms of his breakout career mm-hmm. so this in, was his new discovery this is his new woman. discovery yeah he did discover her and she plays a so she's she's not just a woman she's supposed to be the the daughter of a thai woman and a japanese gangster and the thai woman has like a dark past and has been entangled with uh with uh, undesirables in thailand so she's growing up and she develops martial arts skills by copying what she sees on television including tony jaw films <laughs> Sort of like Rain Man, but instead of learning like poker, she learns how to she kick learns, the crap out of exactly. guys. Exactly, yeah. and you know she's already. We see that she's got all these great reflexes, like she can catch a ball without looking at it and things like that. After her mom is diagnosed with cancer, she and her childhood friend decide that uh, they're going to raise money for her treatment since her mom can't afford it, and they uh, go on this mission to reclaim all this money that is owed to her. And obviously no one wants to pay back this money, particularly to two kind of like scruffy looking kids. And so she then breaks out her repertoire of of absorbed martial arts skills. <laughs> this, you know, it's uh, there are some certainly problems with this film. Like the biggest one being that the uh, the fight sequences quickly get repetitive in that they're just like, there's just more people as the fights go on, that the, the action pretty much remains the same. I think that like Jija is very impressive in her skill, but that like, there's no sense of escalation, just mm-hmm. that she goes from fight sequence to fight sequence where she just destroys, you know, a group of guys who come to fight her. And then again, and then again in a new location. So it does get old after a while. But the first, the whole setup, as ridiculous as it is, and as not particularly realistic a depiction of autism <laughs> as this is, is totally satisfying in that moment when she first breaks out the skills that she's never really tried out before and um, just decimates a whole group of thugs. So uh, for that, for like the kind of like interesting and ridiculous setup and just for the skill, uh, the martial arts skill that's on display, which is really impressive, you know, like in Ong Bak, there's not, a, there's no like messing around with this. This is that these are actually people doing their own, mm-hmm. doing their own fighting, doing their own stunts. And that, is uh is great to see so it's really uh in terms of like an up-and-coming action heroine who actually knows how to do like these stunts and these fighting it's something really worth checking out for that so that's chocolate it's available streaming on netflix yeah i think i almost have the opposite feeling about it which is i don't mind the repetitiveness the action scenes are amazing but yeah, the autism stuff is sometimes (laughs) it gets a little tough to take i feel like definitely it's not PC no, in that way. No. In she way. is awesome, though. Like, I feel like she's going to have some movie that's going to be amazing. Maybe we just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. I have to keep keep our eye on her. Yes. Can I? What was her name? I just want to make you try to pronounce no, it I'm again. not going to. I'm going right, to say fine. Jija is her name. Fine. Jija. Well, I want to see the next Jija masterpiece. I hope it's coming soon. Uh, I'll pair your movie with uh, a martial arts movie that I picked, which is also available on Netflix Instant. It's called The Heroic Trio from 1993, directed by Johnny Doe, who... Now we know more as a guy who does sort of crime films, right? election, that kind of stuff. This is, this is a martial arts movie. This is like sort of a more fantastical superhero martial arts movie, actually. It's about a heroic trio of ass-kicking women, Michelle Yeoh, Anita Mui, and Maggie Chung. It is an awesome assemblage of uh, female fighting talent. And I guess maybe given the fact that we've 
paired two of these together, we should say that female-driven action movies, while maybe they seem kind of new or they seem like they're in here all of a sudden, this is not something that was new in Asia. I mean, these are... This movie is almost 20 years old. Right. I feel like we could have done this our entire list just with uh, Asian yeah. movies. And Michelle Yeoh has made so many amazing movies where she kicks the crap out of guys. Yeah. So she's great. She is great. So, I mean, do I have to explain the plot? What does it matter? It's about three women who kick the crap out of right. people. The bad guy is Anthony <laughs> Wong. He has my all-time favorite martial arts weapon. Can you guess what my all-time favorite martial arts weapon is, Allison? I have no idea. The flying guillotine. Oh, of course. I can't Obviously. It. Sorry. <laughs> the flying guillotine, which is a flying guillotine. guillotine. Yeah. Self-explanatory. Right. Yeah. I, I have to give a knock to the movie, at least the Netflix version, which the last time I looked at it a few months ago was dubbed, mm. which is not great. Yeah. But then again, the movie is kind of insane. I don't even – I couldn't even begin to synopsize it. It like literally involves these three women, one of whom works for the bad guy at first, but then, spoiler alert, later joins forces to create this heroic trio. And there's – kidnapped babies and there's a subterranean lair and there's buildings on fire and it's just crazy but but the action scenes are fantastic get help the freight train is only a minute away go on you heard me serious ass which if you're looking for that sort of thing you won't find too many better versions than that and in terms of the, this idea that how you know feminine can women be while they're also becoming butt kickers the, the this movie does a nice job of sort of existing in both worlds like the end of the movie after they've won the day there's like the the final shot of the movie is basically like a catwalk glamour shot like the three of them walking with their hair blowing and their capes flowing in the wind you know like we're, we're allowed to have them be sexy and be kicking the crap out of Anthony Wong with his flying guillotine at the same time. And I like that. I like the way that the movie balances that. So that's The Heroic Trio, and it is available on Netflix Instant. Okay. My next film is another one about fighting, but a different kind of fighting. It is Girl Fight, 2000 film. Uh, it is available for rent on Amazon, iTunes, and on YouTube. And it was written and directed by Karen Kusama. It was her debut, and it was like her, it got her a lot of attention. Uh, financed by John Sales. She was his assistant for a few years. Uh, she went on to direct Eon Flux and Jennifer's Body, which were not nearly as acclaimed, but certainly much bigger films. Eon Flux is another female driven action movie, it though. Is. And it is available on Netflix I Instant. I'm not going to say that I'm going to recommend it, it yeah. but it is available it is if you want to, if you're curious. Yeah. Um, you know, and this, uh, this was still the film that got her the most critical attention. And it also was the, uh, the first role, I believe, and certainly the breakout for Michelle Rodriguez, who played Diana Guzman, uh, the main character, who has a kind of an abusive father, lives in the projects in Red Hook, and has serious rage issues. 
and starts secretly training uh, boxing and boxing at the local gym. One that is so unprepared uh, to deal with her. There's like no women's locker room. I think she gets like a storage closet to change in. But she loves it and turns out to actually be really good at it. And it becomes this way of like channeling all of this like anger and frustration that she has at her life uh, into something physical. I want to train with you. I want to be a boxer. Wait out aerobics. Am I talking to you? There's plenty of things you could do better with your life than box. Prove it. I'll train you. If you don't sweat for me, you're out of my life. Speaking of the, the whole issue of the love interest mm-hmm. and how you have how you deal with having a male love interest when the female might actually be the female lead might actually be more powerful than him you know could potentially like or that's like actually one of the major plot points Mm -hmm. in this film where you have uh, Santiago Douglas as Adrian named of course for uh, another boxing love interest (laughs) Uh, and her raging bull right exactly yeah Um, so uh, he he happens to be training uh, under the same guy that she is and they meets and uh, he's he's been he becomes interested in her and they have a really kind of sweet and very well like their courtship is really well done but she also ends up in the ring with him because the you know one of the side stories is that it's become the first like truly uh co-ed like boxing league because it's a movie because Allison. it's a movie that's what you can say exactly they and end also up in the ring because yes, it's a movie i mean this does not happen in real life very often and also um you know, there's a lot more female boxers now, so she could actually have That's other people true. to fight. As much of a contrivance as that is, it's actually done really well mm-hmm. when it happens. The scene happens is great, uh, and I think nothing better sums up the the love, the kind of like love story in that as a point where they're like brawling or they're 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 fighting with the coach there, and she like socks him in the face and is like, "I love you," <laughs> for the first time. Uh, and you know, I it is like. Rodriguez has gone on to a lot more traditional action, tough girl roles, but she's never really been better than this. Uh, and she is not prettied up. She's, you know, very, she's mesmerizing in this. She's very watchable, mm-hmm. but she is also completely scary looking a lot of the time, especially in the beginning. Like the first shot of her is there with like her hair and cornrows and she's like glowering out the high school lockers before she's about to go like slam another girl's head into the wall. And she looks totally believably like someone who could kick your ass so that is girl fight it's available for rent on amazon itunes and youtube okay well from female boxing to female mma let's do haywire the new film from steven soderbergh came out earlier this year it's available now on amazon itunes and vod and the the mma fighter in question is gina carano an actual MMA fighter who's cast in this movie as a secret agent who's double-crossed who must take revenge on the people who crossed her doubles or whatever you want to say. You know, a lot of people, when it came out, were saying, oh, well, Gina Carano, she's not a very good actress. She's not a very good actress. And to me, this was kind of a double standard because was she any, uh, you know, is she Meryl Streep? No. No. She's not Meryl Streep. Is she as good as Steven Seagal or Chuck Norris? Yes. yes, absolutely. <laughs> and would I rather watch Gina Carano in a movie like this or Steven Seagal in a movie like this? Gina Carano. A hundred times. A hundred thousand times. Yes. She is our nation's most valuable weapon. You got a car? 
That's why they trained her. Negotiations broke down. Just need somebody to go and get the guy. Wow, that's actually real? Oh, yeah. That's why they trusted her. I have an assignment. It's like a paid holiday. Diplomatic plates. It is an emergency. Slap them on. You want me to be eye candy? You guys would be like the perfect couple. So why did they betray her? I mean, it is like a really kind of grungy, low-down and dirty B-movie with an amazing cast of let's, – let's call them. Let's say they're hunks. Yeah. A bunch of studs and hunks that are just trotted out. For Gina Carano to beat the crap out yeah, of you got she Michael Fassbender. Up, it's like the A-list, A-list yeah. Hollywood. She beats Channing them up. Tatum, Ewan McGregor, Michael Fassbender. They're all in here. They're all looking very handsome. Yep. And they all get the crap kicked out of them. And yep. I thought that was fantastic. Just line up you know, to this question of how do you treat the men in a movie like this. The answer in this case is to just beat the living crap out of them one at a time to just assert her dominance over all of them, which I found so, so absolutely <laughs> satisfying. And in terms of her acting ability – no, she's not Meryl Streep, but I did think that the movie was interesting for her performance in the sense that you could connect it to other Soderbergh movies where he right. takes people who are either playing versions of themselves or are untrained actors or are doing something like that. You know, you think of Bubble where he just found local people and cast them in this movie about factory workers or the Girlfriend, Girlfriend Experience, Experience where right. he casts an actual porn star to play a prostitute. Not the same thing, but there's similar parallels that could be drawn and here he casts someone who's legitimately good at kicking the crap out of people and casts her as this legitimately butt-kicking spy character. And she's totally believable, you know? She's good enough to pull off the acting, and you never feel like they had to double for her. Which is great because it allows Soderbergh, as a you know the crazy technical guy he is, to do fun stuff with long takes and camera movement and, and editing because he doesn't have to cut around her, because he doesn't have to use a stunt double. So... I felt like the movie was better than people gave it credit for. I thought it was a lot better. I didn't understand why it didn't do so well. It did okay. Right? Like, it did, I mean, in terms of box office, it didn't do that much worse or better than your average, like, Steven Seagal movie. But I just felt like it did. It deserved better. Yeah. That's Haywire, and it is available on all sorts of platforms, Amazon, iTunes, and VOD. All right. My final pick is The Quick and the Dead. Oh, yes. good one. I forgot about this one. Yeah, it's available for rent on iTunes and Vudu, directed by Sam Raimi. It was his follow-up to Army of Darkness, starring Sharon Stone as the lady, <laughs> Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe, Leonardo DiCaprio. And it is about, you know, of course, uh, Sharon Stone as the lady enters the old west town of Redemption, where they have the annual extremely complicated gunfighting com competition. Mm -hmm. Just other people have state fairs and things like that. They're like redemption is. Yeah, yeah. it's the gunfighting competition. Good times for everyone. Yep. This is my town. If you live to see the dawn, it's because I allow it. I decide who lives or who dies. In a town called Redemption, death is a way of life. Some fight for money. Some fight for glory. But one stranger has come here looking for something else. I now declare the quick draw competition open. Anybody can challenge anybody. Sign me up. 
Sure must want to die young, miss. This movie is, uh, it's kind of a pastiche of all these different ideas of Westerns, and it's so much fun and not meant to be taken seriously. I mean, uh, and actually what's impressive is, is the the seriousness to which Sharon Stone does her kind of Clint Eastwood impression. She is, she's got this long duster on. She just like grits out all of her lines. Definitely she's, channeling yeah, the man with no name. She is as tough as possible. Uh, and even when she has to dress up in a dress to go out to dinner with uh, Gene Hackman, all the while planning to kill him because he killed her father, sort of, in a roundabout way. Even then, she still looks badass. Uh, it's just... A really fun film, and I think does such an interesting number on the classic gunfighter slinks into town Western trope by having it be a female character and having her also be incredibly tough. Like she takes a lot of like crap. She almost she gets really badly hurt. She also has a fling with Leonardo DiCaprio, a drunken fling with Leonardo DiCaprio. There's a lot of a um, very young Leonardo, a very DiCaprio young Leonardo too. DiCaprio, exactly. Uh, you know, it's um, it, it it it's a movie that has a lot of fun. I think that like it suffers if you think that it's meant to be taken seriously. But I don't know how you could think it was meant to be taken seriously. That's interesting because I almost feel like Sharon Stone thinks it's meant to be Maybe taken. Maybe that's why it works so well. Yeah, I think she thought it was me- meant to be taken seriously. And I feel like everyone else is in a different movie from her. Right. And no, there's, she no, might there's be... no, like, air quotes in it. Yeah. I almost feel I, – I do like the movie a lot. I do think mm-hmm. it is kind of an underrated Sam Raimi movie. Yeah. But I, sometimes when I'm watching it, I do one I'm, – I'm, I'm hung up on her. Sometimes I think mm. she's good, and sometimes I think maybe she is a little too serious. Oh, uh, no. I love she's the seriousness She's trying really hard. Yeah, and I love the seriousness of it. Okay. She has no sense of humor, definitely. <laughs> which is like – yeah, which makes it, I think, is that like, okay. you know, everyone else might be like, how weird that like that like look at the ridiculous array of gunfighters that have turned up right. here, including the Native American who thinks that he can't get shot. <laughs> I think there's even like an old Swede who turns up. Like the, the array – of gunfighting talent yeah. that comes in from around the world for this for this right. competition is ridiculous and awesome. Uh, but no, I think the fact that she is so dedicated to it, uh, she is like you know she is, she Char- is committed. She is Charlton Heston and Ben Hur. <laughs> she is the one who's not in on the joke. That actually makes it that makes it uh, good. And regardless no. of that, I mean the the technique that's on display, it is Raimi like unleashed in terms oh, of yeah. camera movement and uh, there's even the clock, the way the like camera yes. deals with the uh, because everyone uh when when the the minute hand you know reaches the outer hour that's when you uh, that's when you draw you draw so that the things that are done with that are just amazing yeah so as an exercise in style definitely yeah. recommend it a lot of fun the quick and the dead that's available for rent on itunes and voodoo okay our last pick is switchblade sisters from 1975 directed by jack hill who made a lot of female-driven action movies, including a bunch of women-in-prison films, which I would certainly put in this category, but I decided to go with Switchblade Sisters in this case. This is this movie was actually a part of Quentin Tarantino's short-lived Rolling Thunder Pictures label in the mid-'90s, where he started releasing movies that he loved, he used to love, when he was working as a video store clerk through Miramax. They released them theatrically, actually, a lot of them, before they went to video. Yeah, Chunking Express. Chunking Express uh, was another uh, one. Uh, Mighty um, Peking Man, a, a giant uh, ape movie right. from, I think, China. And this was one of them. It's Jack Hill. It's Switchblade Sisters. And you can see when you're watching it the influence that it had on Tarantino, especially in Kill Bill, which is perhaps the ultimate female action movie in some ways. Mm-hmm. But it's also pretty obvious. That's why we didn't I'm sure it's available on a few platforms like iTunes and Amazon, but we thought it was maybe a little obvious to include it. So that's why we've gone with some less obvious picks. But 
the character that's played in Kill Bill by Daryl Hannah, L. Driver, who has the one, the eye patch, the one eye, definitely inspired by one of the characters named Patch in Switchblade Sisters, who is sort of one of the conniving members of this girl gang, which is connected to a boy gang. They're sort of the girl gang offshoot. The leader of the girls is is in a relationship with the leader of the boy gang. And they kind of follow them around. But over the course of the movie, kind of the gender politics shift in a way. And the girls kind of take over and become ultra tough, which is one of the things that's kind of interesting about it is the the women are sort of mistreated from the beginning. And there are some scenes in this movie which are kind of icky in terms of the way that the women are treated sexually by the men. They are kind of exploited. It is an exploitation picture. There's no way around it. But by the end of the movie, the women have kind of proven themselves as the toughest ones of all, and they've turned the tables in a really very satisfying way. After you've seen them kind of treated poorly to watch them turn the tables on the guys, it's almost a revenge movie in that way. Uh, And there's a great uh, scene where as the women are kind of coming into their own, they find this all African-American girl gang who kind of take them under their wing <laughs> and are more political. They listen to Mao and they, they talk about how they're going to start a revolution and all this thing. And one of them says, sooner or later, every woman's got to find out the only thing a man's got below the belt is clay feet, <laughs> which is a great line. We want Maggie. Yeah, we want Maggie. You shut up and sit down. Oh! You're a chicken. Say it! I'm... Come on! I'm... chicken. I'm a big, fat, yellow chicken. I'm a big, fat, yellow chicken. I ain't following no chicken. Oh. Uh, There's some amazing set pieces for a very low-budget movie. There's a great fight in a girl's prison. The girls are all arrested and thrown in prison where there's this mean old warden... And at one point, there's a giant fight between all the women that breaks out. It's just total chaos. It's a straight-up Donnybrook. It's fantastic. There's an insane gunfight in a roller skating rink, which is amazing, where there's a ambush. One of the gangs is ambushed by another gang, and <laughs> machine guns come out, and people who are skating are attacked. It's really wonderful. And then the end, basically uh, this city where it's set, and I'm not sure they ever really say it, probably just Los Angeles because that's where they shot it, just basically descends into absolute anarchy and chaos while this uh, car, which almost looks like something that should have been in Death Proof, that has these flip-up kind of bulletproof shields that can go over the windows, kind of runs through the streets just destroying everyone who's in a gang or not. It doesn't matter. They're just killing everybody. It's really fantastic. Switchblade Sisters is available on Netflix Instant. Put your backs into it. Why don't you row? Why don't you swim? We can't leave yet, Captain. We haven't put enough food on board. We need less mouths. I really think that from now on we should be partners. 50-50. Among cinephiles, Cutthroat Island is more of a joke than a movie. Made in 1995 for a then-astronomical $98 million, the film opened to bad reviews and disastrous box office over the Christmas weekend in 1995. Allison, do you care to guess how much money Cutthroat Island made in its opening weekend? I'm going to go with $8 million. You are off. Really? And you are high. It (laughs) made $2.3 million, coming in 11th. 
for the weekend. Now, it was a busy weekend of that Christmas of 1995. There were eight new movies that opened in the top 15 in the box office, including the number one movie that Christmas, which was Waiting to Exhale. Cutthroat Island also got beat. It was truly it was a cutthroat Christmas at the box office. It got beat by the original Toy Story, still holding strong in its fifth week of release. Jumanji, Grumpier Old Men, <laughs> Heat, Father of the Bride Part 2, the remake of Sabrina, the Jean-Claude Van Damme hockey movie Sudden Death, <laughs> Tom and Huck starring Brad Renfro and Jonathan Taylor Thomas, and the movie I actually went to see that weekend for my 15th birthday, Mel Brooks's Dracula Dead and Loving It. A now, classic. An <laughs> absolute classic. In, in other words, Cutthroat Island was dead on arrival, and the creators were not loving it. It was the beginning of the end of director Rennie Harlan's reign as one of the top action directors in Hollywood. After a second straight flop with his then-wife Gina Davis at the helm, which would be the long kiss goodnight, Harlan began a slow slide into direct-to-video obscurity. And, of course, the film did Gina Davis's career no favors either, although she's fared better than her now ex-husband. She stars in the film as the dread pirate Morgan Adams. She inherits the captaincy of a pirate ship from her father and sets off on a quest to find the legendary Cutthroat Island. To get there, she'll need a map that's been split into three pieces and scattered amongst three brothers. Her father had the first, hidden rather gruesomely, on his scalp. His brother Mordecai had the second, and his other brother Dog, who's the man who killed Morgan's father, who's played by Frank Langella, who I can't wait to talk about, <laughs> has the last piece. Now, as I've said, Allison, Cutthroat Island is a legendary box office failure. It's a failure that helped bankrupt a studio, Kuroko Pictures, put them out of business. So what I want to know is, did the movie deserve to fail? Or did audiences miss the boat, so to speak, in 1995? And is it a hidden gem as sparkly and rare as the treasures of Cutthroat Island? I'm going to go with uh, somewhere in the middle. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that this is a disaster. It's not terrible. Like, it's a fairly entertaining, if unremarkable. Other, You know, if you'd seen this on TV without the context of knowing that it was a legendary bomb, you would not think it was a terrible film. I don't think you would think it was a great film either, but that it has some impressive, I would hope so, obviously they're very expensive, <laughs> sets and action set pieces. You know, it looks very lavish. It tries to summon up a kind of older spirit of like swashbuckling filmmaking uh, valiantly, if not always successfully. Uh, it it looks, you know, impressive, at least in terms of, uh, in, in, at least in terms of its action and in terms of its sets. I don't think that it's a sparkling hidden gem either. You know, there just isn't a lot to it. Uh, you know, despite the fact that this is a two plus hour movie and certainly feels long, it doesn't have a lot of substance to it. It just is a lot of people constantly running around thinking each other is dead. It actually really does. Um, it, it sets up a lot for the eventual Pirates of the Caribbean uh, franchise in that they also feel like it's also a bunch of people flopping around uh, islands and constantly losing each other and finding each other in unexpected places. They're, the plotting is all over the place. Uh, I did think that the Gina Davis as Morgan was interesting. She it is an attempt to really have her be an action hero in and like bear the full burden of that. You know, I was telling you before we started recording this that 
I wasn't sure if Gina Davis had been married to Rennie Harlan. I had looked it up uh, afterwards, but I would have guessed it even without uh, without knowing that, just because the film really is an act of mutual appreciation it's between the two of them. <laughs> it's him being like, look, like, look at what my wife my can wife do. My wife is friggin' hot. Right, and it's her being like, more explosions, <laughs> you know. Well, I'm going to, you know, swing down this boat on a zip line. Yeah. It's a lot of... Uh, that I mean, that's actually maybe part of the problem. But Matt, what did you think of Gina Davis's turn as Morgan, the pirate's daughter, turned pirate queen or something? Did you think she could hold a movie onto herself? I thought she did fine. I thought she was uh, fairly convincing. Was she the greatest action star I've ever seen? No, but... Let's put it this way. She is not the worst sword fighter in this movie, and we will talk about who is in a little bit. I am pretty much on the exact same page with you. This movie is not terrible. I've seen many, many worse movies. Several of the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels are far worse than this movie. And much more incoherent than this. And much more incoherent. (laughs) This is definitely better than, I'd say probably better than any of the sequels. The first Pirates, I love. The first Pirates is good. Sure, it's a great, fun action-adventure movie. And I agree with you, actually, though, that there's a lot of similarities between them. They kind of look very similar. There's a lot of beats that are similar. All the locations, at least the way they're described, a lot of the names of places are recycled from this to Pirates of the Caribbean. They're they're not that different. The difference, I agree with you, is that this one almost commits a worse sin than being a disaster. It's just pretty mediocre. You know, it's boring. It's It is a lot of repetition of people running around chasing and being chased things blowing up people shooting at each other and being shot at people getting lost in the surf a lot I people feel like getting people lost fall in into the, the water and they're like they're dead they're not dead yeah they're not actually dead there's a lot of reversals like that you're absolutely right it 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 is just okay and it is very long you know i was half an hour in i was like oh this is totally enjoyable fluff and then i realized it was only a half hour in and i was like there's another 90 minutes and then after 90 minutes i was like Somebody needs to put this movie <laughs> needs to send this one to the to Davy Jones Davy locker, Jones's yeah. locker. Thank you. Yeah, it it's it, it is a little bit of a of a, a mediocrity in terms of Gina Davis. You're right. It is a very generous gift from her then husband because she does. She's the hero. She looks great. She gets to do all kinds of cool stuff. Although I have to say, I don't know how you felt about this. I kind of wanted there to be more about the fact that she is a woman. Yeah, it was in, hardly what is mentioned. This, 1668 Jamaica Caribbean. Uh-huh. I like that the title card says Jamaica Caribbean 1668 because we might go, oh, it's Jamaica Queens. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, it's 1668. It says it right on the screen. And she inherits this ship from her father, who's the pirate, and they all kind of just accept it. And you would think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but you would think that that might have created a little bit of tension. I mean, she is really one of the few female faces on screen. Like, one of the other ones is a prostitute whose outfit she borrows when she's at another pirate cove. Seen very briefly. Seen very briefly. And a kind of, uh, and the women at the, the, when Matthew Modine's character is introduced at a ball, there are like all these high society women who are all ridiculous figures. Yes. And that is about it. Certainly in the world of piracy, there are no other women out there. Right. And in like the big battle scene, which ends the movie, it ends the movie and ends the movie goes, and ends the movie. It it's like, like 40 minutes. Yeah. yeah, at least. She, you're right. She's the only one surrounded by hundreds of men. It's a huge action set piece. And she's the only woman. And it's really not commented upon that she is leading them. And maybe that's progressive. I don't know. Maybe that was the point was they didn't want to make it about her being a woman. But maybe they could have dressed it a little bit. It is a little weird. And also just the fact that, yeah, either that 
when her father died that people wouldn't would challenge her on that fact because she's a woman and also that she's running around like uh in like fairly revealing outfits often and none of the men seem to see her as a sexual being at all mm. well know? except matthew modine except who for matthew modine her love, her love interest. interest who's outside comes from outside you yes. know who is pretty good i thought he was kind of fun actually he was very wesley in the princess bride so wesley so, kind of looks like him kind of so talks much. like him yeah. yes he's definitely doing a carrie elway's thing yes. absolutely he's he's he went to the school of carrie elway's roguishness <laughs> absolutely okay let's talk about now i've alluded to the fact that someone in this movie is a worse much worse sword fighter yes. than gina davis who am i referring to frank langella. frank langella is the villain of the film he plays dog why did he got really like what was it mordecai black harry and dog he got he got Out screwed of the over in the name yeah. department have you ever seen someone who is less convincing as an action villain type no. than Frank Langella? In You're this right. Movie? He is. He is pretty. I mean, as much as Frank Langella is an amazing actor, he's a fantastic he has actor. No idea what he's doing in this film. There's one part which I thought was hilarious towards the end where there there's a big fight happening. I think and he's I know what you're going to say. You know, he's basically like, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> like, I've never felt so alive. And you're like, what are you talking about? That was good. Actually, I preferred, though, the moment where as you're saying, there's this big fight. The big, obviously, the big climactic sword fight between Frank Langella, the villain, and Gina Davis, the hero. They wind up for no reason whatsoever on the mast of the boat. They're, right, with everyone watching. With everyone else watching, up. staring yeah. and watching. And Gina Davis gets, like, knocked down. She's fine, but she, yeah. like, falls down through the deck of the ship. And after he does this, Frank Langella raises his arms to the sky and goes... <laughs> like a guttural, like, noise. I just thought that was so absurd and amazing, especially when he is such a terrible sword fighter. Yeah. And just not physically intimidating yeah, at think, all. Oh, he's done no favors by his outfit. They give him this outfit where you can see his arms. His arms are exposed. He's wearing like a sleeveless shirt and he's got these flabby. I mean, like he's less built than me and I'm <laughs> yeah. the shrimpiest guy alive. He's not an intimidating villain. And well, it's not even really all that amusing, except at the end occasionally. I mean, because he is so so ugh, i mean you know it's 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 almost sad actually yeah and then gina davis is like she's like a very physical actress you yes. know in this especially she does look like she could smush him like a bug you yeah. know she They're... deserved a much better opponent i <laughs> yes. mean it was not a fair fight for him langella gives the full skeletor and it's too much it's <laughs> way way too much Anything else you want to say about the movie? I mean, it does look really it does. expensive. I, it does look very expensive. And, I, you know, I think that one of the problems with the film is just that it's not quite sure where to land in terms of tone. Mm. Sometimes it's kind of cartoonish, like the scene where Matthew Modine is introduced. You know, Matthew Modine is this, he plays Shaw, who's like a con man and thief. He's educated, so he gets brought in because he can read Latin. Uh, he gets this really kind of hammy introduction where he's stealing from these society ladies. Right. And the tone is like very cartoonish. But then, you know, later in the film, it, it kind of tries to be a little more, if not serious action movie, kind of to, to get away from that a bit. It's not really sure if it wants to be like, yeah, like a Disney ride or or where if, if it's a movie for grownups or if it's a movie for kids. Yeah, that's a great point. If if there is a big difference between this and the Pirates movies, at least the first one, the, the first Pirates really knows what it is. And it, it has that fun tone. And this one, you're right. The, the scene what you're talking about with Shaw in the beginning, he's seducing these women, he's stealing from them. And then immediately into here's the map I need you to look at. It's 
on my father's scalp. scalp. Right. Which, which is, I, which I removed. Piece. Yes. <laughs> With a floppy piece of skin. It's disgusting. Which, like, she cut off yes. after, like, her, like, sad Harrowing goodbye. goodbye to her father. father. She must have just been like, oh, well. <laughs> like, chop, chop, chop. Yeah. You're right. The tone is all over the place. And I think also the problem is that, like we were saying earlier, the ending never ends the ending is endless it's a half hour huge it must have cost a fortune it must have taken forever and it's impressive on some level but exciting though it isn't and it just goes on and on and on and you know it's funny because the movie is episodic they go from one port to a ship to an island to this or that and you get to this part where frank langella and his crew are about to get into this big battle with gina davis and her crew and you're like oh there's still 45 minutes left god there must be another thing after this but actually this is what is going to occupy the rest of the movie i did want to ask you one more thing which is you know i i agree that i think matthew mardine is pretty charming in this but what did you think of him as a love interest oh yes because he is definitely he is the damsel in distress a lot he frequently has to get rescued and also just is nowhere near as badass as she is like he absolutely just you know he's the sidekick he's, he's the, the sidekick, sidekick and then he's the damsel in distress yeah at the end of the movie he is a prop he's he's not, he's liter- almost literally dangling you know and she has to rescue him i like that i thought that was great i thought and i like i said i thought gina davis was convincing enough that i bought into the fact that he would need rescuing and that she would be capable of rescuing him i didn't think she was unconvincing i thought frank langella was unconvincing <laughs> is, you agree yes i would agree I, I don't know if I entirely thought they had much romantic chemistry, Gina Davis. And well, Matthew the movie Mardin. isn't very invested in their no. romantic chemistry. And it does also have like their first kind of like big moment together when he's prying like a musket ball out of her side. <laughs> <laughs> like, and she's like dr- drinking rum. And like, it's really sexy. It's hot. It's yeah, hot. it's sure really, hot. it's great. <laughs> Cutthroat Island, which is neither a disaster nor a masterpiece, is available on Netflix. Watch instantly. All right, up next is Behind the Eight Ball, in which we each give you a rapid-fire countdown of three picks that are new to streaming, two that are expiring soon, and one chosen blindly by number from each of our Netflix queues. Matt, you want to start off with three new picks? I am ready. All right, here we go. Three new releases. Adventureland, which is now available on Netflix. This is Greg Matola's semi-autobiographical dramedy starring jesse eisenberg as a recent college grad who takes a summer job at an amusement park funny sad touching nice little movie uh, funny sad touching it's at least sad and touching but definitely not funny my next pick is tyrannosaur from 2011 this is available on netflix and also on hulu and that's is the directorial debut of actor patty considine a very dark movie but i found it to be very moving it's a story of a man who is just basically a horrible human being he's just sort of been chewed out by life and he's at his wits end and he sort of finds very reluctantly some form of redemption by spending time with this uh this woman last but not least universal soldier regeneration which is available on crackle this is a direct to dvd and video sequel to the original universal soldier ignores all the previous sequels which were all terrible this movie is actually pretty good. It is a emblematic example of what you can do with a direct-to-DVD movie, which is just make a really good action movie. It does have Jean-Claude Van Damme. 
It does have Dolph Lundgren in it, not for very long, but um, very bleak, very dark, some very good action, and kind of a sad, if you want to read into sort of a post-JCVD malaise that Van Damme has, if you want to read that into this movie, that reading is very much available to you. So that's Universal Soldier Regeneration, and that's on Crackle. Okay, two expiring releases. Okay, both expiring on July 1st. I have Giant. Uh, This is from 1956, the epic film by George Stevens with Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, and in his last role, James Dean. This is uh, the lives of this Texas cattle family and the rise of oil. And it's sort of, if you're watching Dallas, now that Dallas is back on television, this is like the prequel to Dallas, I guess. Also expiring on July 1st, one of my all-time favorite movies, maybe my favorite science fiction movie of all time, Videodrome from David Cronenberg. If you haven't seen Videodrome in a long time, I think you need to re-watch Videodrome. Take a look at how prescient this movie is. This movie, forget Al Gore, this movie invented the internet. I'll just put it out there like that. So that's Videodrome. Those are both expiring on Netflix on July 1st. All right, and one from your queue. You gave me number three, which this week is The Lovers on the Bridge, which is directed by, I think it's Leo Carex? Carex. I, I mean, I don't think it's his Is the ex-silent? I don't think it's his real name. I, I don't think, think it is either. He chose it, so. Yeah, well, however you want to pronounce it, his new film, Holy Motors, was one of the hits of this year's Cannes Film Festival. And not being too familiar with his work, I went and looked up all his movies, and The Lovers on the Bridge is one of his acclaimed earlier works, and it is available on Netflix. So that's my number three title. Are you ready for your cue down countdown I Allison. am ready all right give me three new releases go okay first battle royale 2000 film which is new uh, streaming on netflix it's from director kinji fukasaku and it is you know your classic film about kids being forced to fight to the death by their oppressive governments um preceding the hunger games and uh, often looked at as an influence on the hunger games and then The Apartment, 1996, is new on Hulu, uh, directed by Gilles Mimouni. It is, I guess you could call it a romantic thriller. The plot is impossible to summarize, but it's basically about a guy looking for his lost love and stars Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci before they, they got married and is also, amongst other things, kind of a weird uh, variation on Midsummer Night's Dream. A really interesting film that was remade into a really much less interesting American remake called Wicker Park. And my last pick is actually a TV show. It is Louis season two, which is now uh, streaming on Netflix. And this is comedian Louis C.K.'s show, which he, he writes, directs, edits, and stars in himself. And is really one of the, I think the best shows that's on television right now. The, the new season is starting I think next week Um, and it's just funny and sad and a really interesting uh, you know take on among other things parenting mortality love um, fame work ethic in terms of showbiz and uh, it's also just very funny okay and two expiring titles all right. Uh, first expiring on June 30th, it's Turn the River, which is 2007 film. Chris Eigeman's directorial debut. You probably know him from his work with Whit Stillman, uh, among many other things. Starring Famke Jansen as a pool shark who kidnaps her, her kid to get him away from her, her ex. Interesting film. That's uh, expiring on Netflix on June 30th. 
The other one expiring on July 1st, also on Netflix, is Dahmer, 2002 film starring Jeremy Renner before he was the Jeremy Renner that everyone knows. Before he was knows, Matt Damon. Before he was Matt Damon. Um, and this in this film, he plays Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer. Uh, this was actually got him a lot of attention in an indie way. It was nominated. He was nominated for a Spirit Award for it. And, you know, it's an interesting take on a serial killer. It may not be taking on, you know, the equivalent of taking on a major action franchise the way he's doing now, but still worth a look. So that is Dahmer expiring uh, on Netflix July 1st. Okay. And one random movie from your queue. Well, you picked number 77. And uh, this was actually one that we've, we've brought up as a listener's choice offering before. It is The Woman, directed ah. by Lucky McKee, which I have had on my queue for a little while and uh, keep meaning to get to but haven't yet so you know it was not picked for that listener's choice but so you still got it on I there i still plan to watch it so in 76 films you will get to it yes exactly that's approximately what anytime that means. now yes all right well it's time to do this week's listener's choice options we've got three for you to choose from and decide what we review on the next episode of film spotting svu allison What's the first option? The first option is a recent film. It is Jeff Who Lives at Home, which is available on iTunes and we think also on VOD. It's directed and written by Jay and Mark Duplass, Duplass brothers, who have done other films together, have kind of been mumblecore, uh, major mumblecore filmmakers. This is their most recent and certainly their biggest one. It stars Jason Segel as the title character who is a 30 year old still living in his parents basement and obsessed with m night Shyamalan's signs who isn't with good reason yes and ed helms plays his brother who is struggling with marital problems film also stars susan sarandon judy greer and ray don chong so that is jeff who lives at home and that is available on amazon itunes yes a lot of options for that one our second choice is Boys in the Hood from 1991, written and directed by John Singleton and starring Cuba Gooding Jr., Ice Cube, Lawrence Fishburne, many more, famous for its depiction of South Central L.A. in the early 90s. Singleton was nominated for the Best Director Academy Award for the movie. He was the youngest director to be nominated at the time. He was also the first, I think, African-American to be nominated for that award, which is – that's kind of crazy. Very influential in its day. Very popular in its day, considered very honest, revealing, timely. So those are always interesting to look at to see how a movie like that ages, which was considered so contemporary and edgy in 1991. Will we think so 20 years later, or will we find it to have dated in some way? I'm looking forward to finding out if you pick Boys in the Hood, and that is going to be available on Netflix. All right, and our third pick is also going to be available on Netflix, and it is Red's. That's Warren Beatty's sprawling 1981 epic about the revolutionary communist and journalist John Reed and his relationship with Louise Bryant, played by Diane Keaton in the film, going from the first meeting up through uh, Reed's death in 1920s Russia. And, you know, this is a really acclaimed work, uh, and I have not seen it yet. You've seen a little bit of it, right, Matt? I saw part of it, yes. I don't think I There's finished it. There's a lot it. of it to see. It's 194 <laughs> minutes long. But I, yes. I'm actually, I, you know, I would love it if we picked this just because I would love to finally sit down and watch it. I would love to see any of any of the movies any this week these, yes. sound really good to me. I would love to see any of them. But yeah, I would, I would, it would be a good excuse because, uh, you, you know, in the days when you were taking the discs out from Netflix, you would sometimes have to send one back. 
So you would maybe start a movie, and then you'd have to, like, at least for me, I'd have to get something for work, and I'd go, well, I'll have to send back Reds. I only watched the first hour of it, but i got to send it back. So that's sort of what happened in that case. All right. Well, that's Reds, and it is coming to Netflix. All right. So which movie should we review on the next episode of FilmSpotting Streaming Video Unit? Send your pick to feedback at filmspottingsvu.com or enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, July 2nd at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on the next episode, which will be on Monday, July 9th. Although it's possible it might be a little late, maybe a day later, so I'm going to be coming back from vacation. Slacker. I'm sorry. Anyway, filmspottingsvu.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we've discussed on this show. Uh, the Filmspotting SVU remixed theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. And we'll be back in two weeks, or two weeks and a day, <laughs> with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. In the meantime, you can follow me and Matt on Twitter at twitter.com slash Allison Wilmore and twitter.com slash Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at twitter.com slash SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>